Chapter 1, Part 1 of Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan, First Series, by Lefkadio Hearn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan, First Series, by Lefkadio Hearn. Chapter 1, Part 1. My First Day in the Orient. Do not fail to write down your first impressions as soon as possible said a kind english professor basil hall chamberlain preparator's note whom i had the pleasure of meeting soon after my arrival in japan they are evanescent you know they will never come to you again once they have faded out and yet of all the strange sensations you may receive in this country you will feel none so charming as these i am trying now to reproduce them from the hasty notes of the time and find that they were even more fugitive than charming something has evaporated from all my recollections of them something impossible to recall i neglected the friendly advice in spite of all resolves to obey it i could not in those first weeks resign myself to remain indoors and write while there was yet so much to see and hear and feel in the sun-steeped ways of the wonderful japanese city still even could i revive all the lost sensations of those first experiences i doubt if i could express and fix them in words the first charm of japan is intangible and volatile as a perfume it began for me with my first kuruma ride out of the european quarter of yokohama into the japanese town and so much as i can recall of it is hereafter set down section one it is with the delicious surprise of the first journey through japanese streets unable to make one's kuruma runner understand anything but gestures frantic gestures to roll on anywhere everywhere since all is unspeakably pleasurable and new that one first receives the real sensation of being in the orient in this far east so much read of so long dreamed of yet as the eyes bear witness heretofore all unknown there is a romance even in the first full consciousness of this rather commonplace fact but for me this consciousness is transfigured inexpressibly by the divine beauty of the day there is some charm unutterable in the morning air cool with the coolness of japanese spring and wind waves from the snowy cone of fuji a charm perhaps due rather to softest lucidity than to any positive tone an atmospheric limpidity extraordinary with only a suggestion of blue in it through which the most distant objects appear focused with amazing sharpness the sun is only pleasantly warm the jinriksha or kuruma is the most cosy little vehicle imaginable and the street vistas as seen above the dancing white mushroom-shaped hat of my sandaled runner have an allurement of which i fancy that i could never weary elfish everything seems for everything as well as everybody is small and queer and mysterious the little houses under their blue roofs the little shop fronts hung with blue and the smiling little people in their blue costumes the illusion is only broken by the occasional passing of a tall foreigner and by diverse shop signs bearing announcements in absurd attempts at english nevertheless such discords only serve to emphasize reality 
they never materially lessened the fascination of the funny little streets tis at first a delightfully odd confusion only as you look down one of them through an interminable flutter of flags and swaying of dark blue drapery all made beautiful and mysterious with japanese or chinese lettering for there are no immediately discernible laws of construction or decoration each building seems to have a fantastic prettiness of its own nothing is exactly like anything else and all is bewilderingly novel but gradually after an hour passed in the quarter the eye begins to recognize in a vague way some general plan in the construction of these low light queerly gabled wooden houses mostly unpainted with their first stories all open to the street and thin strips of roofing sloping above each shop front like awnings back to the miniature balconies of paper-screened second stories you begin to understand the common plan of the tiny shops with their matted floors well raised above the street level and the general perpendicular arrangement of sign lettering whether undulating on drapery or glimmering on gilded and lacquered signboards you observe that the same rich dark blue which dominates in popular costume rules also in shop draperies though there is a sprinkling of other tints bright blue and white and red no greens or yellows and then you note also that the dresses of the labourers are lettered with the same wonderful lettering as the shop draperies no arabesques could produce such an effect as modified for decorative purposes these ideographs have a speaking symmetry which no design without a meaning could possess as they appear on the back of a workman's frock pure white on dark blue and large enough to be easily read at a great distance indicating some guild or company of which the wearer is a member or employee they give to the poor cheap garment a fictitious appearance of splendour and finally while you are still puzzling over the mystery of things there will come to you like a revelation the knowledge that most of the amazing picturesqueness of these streets is simply due to the profusion of chinese and japanese characters in white black blue or gold decorating everything even surfaces of doorposts and paper screens perhaps then for one moment you will imagine the effect of english lettering substituted for those magical characters and the mere idea will give to whatever aesthetic sentiment you may possess a brutal shock and you will become as i have become an enemy of the romajikai that society founded for ugly utilitarian purpose of introducing the use of english letters in writing japanese section two an ideograph does not make upon the japanese brain any impression similar to that created in the occidental brain by a letter or combination of letters dull inanimate symbols of vocal sounds to the japanese brain an ideograph is a vivid picture it lives it speaks it gesticulates and the whole space of a japanese street is full of such living characters figures that cry out to the eyes words that smile or grimace like faces what such lettering is compared with our own lifeless types can be understood only by those who have lived in the farther east for even the printed characters of japanese or chinese imported texts give no suggestion of the possible beauty 
of the same characters as modified for decorative inscriptions for sculptural use or for the commonest advertising purposes no rigid convention fetters the fancy of the calligrapher or designer each strives to make his characters more beautiful than any others and generations upon generations of artists have been toiling from time immemorial with like emulation so that through centuries and centuries of tireless effort and study the primitive hieroglyph or ideograph has been evolved into a thing of beauty indescribable it consists only of a certain number of brushstrokes but in each stroke there is an undiscoverable secret art of grace proportion imperceptible curve which actually makes it seem alive and bears witness that even during the lightning moment of its creation the artist felt with his brush for the ideal shape of the stroke equally along its entire length from head to tail but the art of the stroke is not all the art of their combination is that which produces the enchantment often so as to astonish the japanese themselves it is not surprising indeed considering the strangely personal animate esoteric aspect of japanese lettering that there should be wonderful legends of calligraphy relating how words written by holy experts become incarnate and descended from their tablets to hold converse with mankind section three mike rumaya calls himself cha he has a white hat which looks like the top of an enormous mushroom a short blue wide-sleeved jacket blue drawers close-fitting as tights and reaching to his ankles and light straw sandals bound upon his bare feet with cords of palmetto fibre doubtless he typifies all the patience endurance and insidious coaxing powers of his class he has already manifested his power to make me give him more than the law allows and i have been warned against him in vain for the first sensation of having a human being for a horse trotting between shafts unwearyingly bobbing up and down before you for hours is alone enough to evoke a feeling of compassion and when this human being thus trotting between shafts with all his hopes memories sentiments and comprehensions happens to have the gentlest smile and the power to return the least favour by an apparent display of infinite gratitude this compassion becomes sympathy and provokes unreasoning impulses to self-sacrifice i think the sight of the profuse perspiration has also something to do with the feeling for it makes one think of the cost of heartbeats and muscle contractions likewise of chills congestions and pleurisy cha's clothing is drenched and he mops his face with a small sky-blue towel with figures of bamboo sprays and sparrows in white upon it which towel he carries wrapped about his wrist as he runs that however which attracts me in cha cha considered not as a motive power at all but as a personality i am rapidly learning to discern in the multitudes of faces turned towards us as we roll through these miniature streets and perhaps the supremely pleasurable impression of this morning is that produced by the singular gentleness of popular scrutiny everybody looks at you curiously but there is never anything disagreeable much less hostile in the gaze most commonly it is accompanied by a smile or half-smile and the ultimate consequence of all these kindly curious looks and smiles 
is that the stranger finds himself thinking of fairyland hackneyed to the degree of provocation this statement no doubt is everybody describing the sensations of his first japanese day talks of the land as fairyland and of its people as fairy folk yet there is a natural reason for this unanimity in choice of terms to describe what is almost impossible to describe more accurately at the first essay to find oneself suddenly in a world where everything is upon a smaller and daintier scale than with us a world of lesser and seemingly kindlier beings all smiling at you as if to wish you well a world where all movement is slow and soft and voices are hushed a world where land life and sky are unlike all that one has known elsewhere this is surely the realization for imaginations nourished with english folklore of the old dream of a world of elves section four the traveller who enters suddenly into a period of social change especially change from a feudal past to a democratic present is likely to regret the decay of things beautiful and the ugliness of things new what of both i may yet discover in japan i know not but to-day in these exotic streets the old and the new mingle so well that one seems to set off the other the line of tiny white telegraph poles carrying the world's news to papers printed in a mixture of chinese and japanese characters an electric bell in some tea-house with an oriental riddle of text pasted beside the ivory button a shop of american sewing-machines next to the shop of a maker of buddhist images the establishment of a photographer beside the establishment of a manufacturer of straw sandals all these present no striking incongruities for each sample of occidental innovation is set into an oriental frame that seems adaptable to any picture but on the first day at least the old alone is new for the stranger and suffices to absorb his attention it then appears to him that everything japanese is delicate exquisite admirable even a pair of common wooden chopsticks in a paper bag with a little drawing upon it even a package of toothpicks of cherry wood bound with a paper wrapper wonderfully lettered in three different colours even the little sky-blue towel with designs of flying sparrows upon it which the jinriksha man uses to wipe his face the bank bills the commonest copper coins are things of beauty even the piece of plated coloured string used by the shopkeeper in tying up your last purchase is a pretty curiosity curiosities and dainty objects bewilder you by their very multitude on either side of you wherever you turn your eyes are countless wonderful things as yet incomprehensible but it is perilous to look at them every time you dare to look something obliges you to buy it unless as may often happen the smiling vendor invites your inspection of so many varieties of one article each specially and all unspeakably desirable that you flee away out of mere terror at your own impulses the shopkeeper never asks you to buy but his wares are enchanted and if you once begin buying you are lost cheapness means only a temptation to commit bankruptcy for the resources of irresistible artistic cheapness are inexhaustible the largest steamer that crosses the pacific could not contain what you wish to purchase for although you may not perhaps confess the fact to yourself 
what you really want to buy is not the contents of a shop you want the shop and the shopkeeper the streets of shops with their draperies and their inhabitants the whole city and the bay and the mountains begirdling it and fujiyama's white witchery overhanging it in the speckless sky all japan in very truth with its magical trees and luminous atmosphere with all its cities and towns and temples and forty millions of the most lovable people in the universe now there comes to my mind something i once heard said by a practical american on hearing of a great fire in japan oh those people can afford fires their houses are so cheaply built it is true that the frail wooden houses of the common people can be cheaply and quickly replaced but that which was within them to make them beautiful cannot and every fire is an art tragedy for this is the land of infinite handmade variety machinery has not yet been able to introduce sameness and utilitarian ugliness in cheap production except in response to foreign demand for bad taste to suit vulgar markets and each object made by the artist or artisan differs still from all others even of his own making and each time something beautiful perishes by fire it is a something representing an individual idea happily the art impulse itself in this country of conflagrations has a vitality which survives each generation of artists and defies the flame that changes their labor to ashes or melts it to shapelessness the idea whose symbol has perished will reappear again in other creations perhaps after the passing of a century modified indeed yet recognizably of kin to the thought of the past and every artist is a ghostly worker not by years of groping and sacrifice does he find his highest expression the sacrificial past is within him his art is an inheritance his fingers are guided by the dead in the delineation of a flying bird of the vapours of mountains of the colours of the morning and the evening of the shape of branches and the spring bursts of flowers generations of skilled workmen have given him their cunning and revive in the wonder of his drawing what was conscious effort in the beginning became unconscious in later centuries becomes almost automatic in the living man becomes the art instinctive wherefore one coloured print by a hokusai or hiroshige originally sold for less than a cent may have more real art in it than many a western painting valued at more than the worth of a whole japanese street section five here are hokusai's own figures walking about in straw raincoats and immense mushroom-shaped hats of straw and straw sandals bare-limbed peasants deeply tanned by wind and sun and patient-faced mothers with smiling bald babies on their backs toddling by upon their getta high noisy wooden clogs and robed merchants squatting and smoking their little brass pipes among the countless riddles of their shops then i notice how small and shapely the feet of the people are whether bare brown feet of peasants or beautiful feet of children wearing tiny tiny getta or feet of young girls in snowy tabi the tabi the white digitated stocking gives to a small light foot a mythological aspect the white cleft grace of the foot of a fondness clad or bare the japanese foot has the antique symmetry it has not yet been distorted by the infamous footgear 
which has deformed the feet of occidentals of every pair of japanese wooden clogs one makes in walking a slightly different sound from the other as kring to krang so that the echo of the walker's steps has an alternate rhythm of tones on a pavement such as that of a railway station the sound obtains immense sonority and the crowd will sometimes intentionally fall into step with the drollest conceivable result of drawling wooden noise section six terae yuke i have been obliged to return to the european hotel not because of the noon meal as i really begrudge myself the time necessary to eat it but because i cannot make cha understand that i want to visit a buddhist temple now cha understands my landlord has uttered the mystical words terae yuke a few minutes of running along broad thoroughfares lined with gardens and costly ugly european buildings then passing the bridge of a canal stocked with unpainted sharp-prowed craft of extraordinary construction we again plunge into narrow low bright pretty streets into another part of the japanese city and cha runs at the top of his speed between more rows of little arc-shaped houses narrower above than below between other unfamiliar lines of little open shops and always over the shops little strips of blue tiled roof slope back to the paper screen chamber of upper floors and from all the facades hang draperies dark blue or white or crimson footbreadths of texture covered with beautiful japanese lettering white on blue red on black black on white but all this flies by swiftly as a dream once more we cross a canal we rush up a narrow street rising to meet a hill and cha halting suddenly before an immense flight of broad stone steps sets the shafts of his vehicle on the ground that i may dismount and pointing to the steps exclaims terra i dismount and i ascend them and reaching a broad terrace find myself face to face with a wonderful gate topped by a tilted peaked many-cornered chinese roof it is all strangely carven this gate dragons are intertwined in a frieze above its open doors and the panels of the doors themselves are similarly sculptured and there are gargoyles grotesque lion heads protruding from the eaves and the whole is grey stone-coloured to me nevertheless the carvings do not seem to have the fixity of sculpture all the snakeries and dragoneries appear to undulate with a swarming motion elusively in eddyings as of water i turn a moment to look back through the glorious light sea and sky mingle in the same beautiful pale clear blue below me the billowing of bluish roofs reaches to the verge of the unruffled bay on the right and to the feet of the green wooded hills flanking the city on two sides beyond that semicircle of green hills rises a lofty range of serrated mountains indigo silhouettes and enormously high above the line of them towers an apparition indescribably lovely one solitary snowy cone so filmily exquisite so spiritually white that but for its immemorially familiar outline one would surely deem it a shape of cloud invisible its base remains being the same delicious tint as the sky only above the eternal snow-line its dreamy cone appears seeming to hang the ghost of a peak 
between the luminous land and the luminous heaven the sacred and matchless mountain fujiyama and suddenly a singular sensation comes upon me as i stand before this weirdly sculptured portal a sensation of dream and doubt it seems to me that the steps and the dragon swarming gate and the blue sky arching over the roofs of the town and the ghostly beauty of fuji and the shadow of myself there stretching upon the grey masonry must all vanish presently why such a feeling doubtless because the forms before me the curved roofs the coiling dragons the chinese grotesqueries of carving do not really appear to me as things new but as things dreamed the sight of them must have stirred to life forgotten memories of picture-books a moment and the delusion vanishes the romance of reality returns with freshened consciousness of all that which is truly and deliciously new the magical transparencies of distance the wondrous delicacy of the tones of the living picture the enormous height of the summer blue and the white soft witchery of the japanese sun End of chapter 1 part 1